I'm Derek Walker, the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church. We're in an in-depth series on the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And we're seeing uh, that there is this two-stage blessing of the Holy Spirit that comes from the very nature of things. And uh, last time we began to, to, to go through the book of Acts and see how consistently the anyone who came to faith, you know, they first of all were born again and received the Spirit within them, and then at a later stage usually they received the Spirit upon them, which is the power to do, to fulfill God's great commission. And uh, these two stages are um, important to understand because just because you're born again doesn't mean you could you can just uh, s stay with that yes it's wonderful you're born again you have the, this love relationship with God but if you really are loving God you want to fulfill his will in the earth you want to get on his team you want to embrace the call of God that he has for you the, the work that he has you to do and that is centered on the Great Commission. We all fulfill the Great Commission in different ways, which is to preach the gospel, to make disciples. Um, we fulfill it in different ways according to our special gifts, but we must all be committed to the Great Commission and we need to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And you don't necessarily receive the power of the Spirit upon you when you're born again. That is a separate experience called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And that's what this series is about, that you would receive this power, understand what it's for, and know how to release that power when you pray and when you witness. And that power is released through our words. And when we speak under the inspiration of the Spirit, we release the power of God. And so we've been looking through the book of Acts. It's interesting that the book of Acts begins by saying that Luke says, in my former treatise, which is the Gospel of Luke, um, was all about what Jesus began to do and to teach. And that means that the book of Acts is all about how um, Jesus continued his ministry through the church. So the book of Acts is, is really describes the fact that that the ministry that Jesus began that we see in the Gospels is now to be continued, um, you know, uh, by the church. And the, and the book of Acts records how the ministry of Jesus continued. Uh, and I believe the book of Acts is a model for us. This is how it should be. It sets the pattern of, 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 of how the gospel is to be spread because those first Christians turned the world upside down. And uh, this was, you know, some people think, well, the book of Acts is just a, a special period of time that doesn't apply right now. But Jesus actually said in John 14, uh, 12, you know, that, uh, that because he goes to the Father, the works that he did, we shall do also, and greater works shall we do. Now, the fact that we do the same works as Jesus shows that we are continuing his ministry but the fact that we can do greater works, that is a bit surprising. But the reason that we can do greater works is not because we're greater, of course, but because of through his death and resurrection and because he ascended to God, um, we can now do the greater works of getting people born again and baptized in the Holy Spirit. You see, that was not possible during the gospel 
time because Jesus um, hadn't died yet and risen again. And so the new covenant wasn't in action. And so it wasn't possible for us again, to be born again and receive the Spirit within us and then to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That only comes available later. So we are to continue the ministry of Jesus and even, in a way, do greater things. And so that words of Jesus did not just apply for a few years, uh, but it applies to the whole church age. So when we look at the book of Acts, we, we are seeing a pattern for how things should be for us now. And, uh, and so we, we already took a start in this passage, pattern. I'll, I'll just give you a quick recap before we, we cover some new points. First of all, we see in the, the, this two-stage experience in the, in the life of Jesus, who's our example. He had the spirit within him from, from birth that enabled him to live as a man, a, a life of holiness unto God. And then, but he didn't have power to do miracles or preach the gospel. Um, that was given to him when he dedicated himself to God at his baptism and he received the Spirit of God upon him and that empowered him for his mission, his ministry. And so we see that with Jesus. And then we see with the first Christians, the first the apostles, it says that on the evening of the resurrection, Jesus breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And that's when uh, they received, they were born again and they received the Spirit within them. And then he started preparing them for receiving the Spirit upon them, which was power for ministry. And that took place 50 days later. It's a separate experience that they needed special preparation to receive because receiving the, the power of the Holy Spirit requires a specific surrender to God. It requires you embrace his mission the Great Commission, and it requires that you then surrender your soul and your body uh, so that the Spirit of God can come upon you. And as we'll see, the Spirit coming upon you means that he comes upon your tongue and you're able to speak in tongues as the Spirit gives you the words. And then you are now under the power of the Holy Spirit and now you can release that power by sharing the gospel, by praying and so forth. And so it is important for yourself, all you need is the spirit within. But for your ministry to bless other people, you need the spirit upon to be fully effective and to release your gifts, your spiritual gifts. And so he started preparing them uh, over those 40 days for the spirit to come upon. And then at the end of 40 days, we read in Acts 1 that he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. In other words, there's part of the promise of the Father that they hadn't received yet. And then he explains the part they hadn't received. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He's talking about what would happen on the day of Pentecost. And what happened on the day of Pentecost was that the Spirit came upon them. And he calls that the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Uh, and then he describes this experience and its purpose in verse 8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So it's the Spirit coming upon you, and the Spirit upon you is for power. And this is the word dunamis, which is potential energy. So when you're being baptized in the Holy Spirit, the Spirit rests upon you. As the Spirit rested upon Jesus, it, he won't go away, 
but he can be dormant. It's, it's, in a, it's, it's potential energy is dunamis, like with dynamite, of course. You have to light the fuse for that energy to be released. And the way we light the fuse and the way we activate the dunamis that's upon us is by speaking the words. When we speak in tongues, we're activating that power and that power gets released in our prayers. When we share the gospel, that releases the dunamis that's upon us. Uh, when we pray for the sick in faith, that releases the dunamis power of God that is upon us. But we have to receive that power. When, and we receive it when the Spirit comes upon you. And this power is primarily fit to glorify Jesus. And you will be my witnesses to the end of the earth. And so that was almost like an outline of the book of Acts. First of all, he says, in Jerusalem, that was... We see that in Acts 2, and then uh, in Samaria, it says, uh, and then to the ends of the earth. And that's exactly the book of Acts. We see this gospel spreading out to the ends of the earth. And so we come a few days later that Jesus ascended to heaven then, and then nine days later was the day of Pentecost. And we read that when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they're all in one accord in one place, and suddenly came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting and there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire and one sat upon each of them. And so what was visible on that occasion, usually this is invisible but it would be visible in the spiritual realm, is that fire came upon them. That is the Holy Spirit. But that is the Holy Spirit is activated. And the reason why the hope power of the Spirit was activated upon them and, it shone, and, and the light was shining out of them was verse 4. They, this shows what happened within them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So within them they are surrendered to God's will to, to be messengers of the gospel. They dedicated themselves to God and then because they surrendered to him, the spirit within them now filled them and came upon them and came upon their tongue in particular, because the tongue is the, is the outlet of the heart. And they began to speak in tongues as the spirit gave them utterance. We'll talk more about speaking in tongues later in this series. But um, the power of the spirit is released as we speak in tongues. They had the fire of God on them and they also prophesied and uh, as a result um, they they were shining the light they were now primed they were ready they were empowered they were ready now to share the gospel with power and uh, they indeed turned the world upside down and so again we see they had a two-stage experience they on the evening of the resurrection they received the spirit within them 50 days later now they received the spirit upon them and they were filled with the Spirit. And um, then we saw that the gospel next went to Samaria. And we saw in Acts chapter 8 how Philip preached the gospel to the Samaritans, that they received the word of God and they were baptized and they were therefore definitely saved. This is all in Acts 8. But they had not received the Holy Spirit upon them. And it specifically says that. They'd received Christ, they received the Spirit within, but they hadn't received the Spirit upon. So they had to call Peter and John to come and pray for them. And when they prayed for them, they received the Spirit upon them. 
praise God. And that is the power of the Spirit. So again, the, the Samaritan experience proves that it is a two-stage experience. There can be no question about that. Just because you're born again does not mean you've received the Spirit of God upon you. Um, let's just read that in Acts 8. Acts eight fourteen. it says, When the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Now, question, is he talking about the Holy Spirit within or upon? Well, that's answered by the next verse. They hadn't received the Spirit upon them. Verse 16, for as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of Jesus. So they hadn't received the Spirit upon them. And so when they were prayed for, we, we hear in verse 17, they laid hands on them, they received the Spirit upon them. And we know this because the, 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 it's a very dramatic experience. The Spirit upon, you see, the Spirit within, nobody, that happens by faith. It's real to the person who does it, but it's, there's no outward evidence because it's within. But the Spirit upon is a dramatic thing. It's, it's evidenced by praying in tongues because it's upon. In fact, in verse 16, he says the Spirit had not fallen upon any of them. So this gives you the idea that, that it's a kind of, of a dram more dramatic nature. And uh, they when they received the Spirit upon, the, the Simon, who was a sorcerer, saw that through the laying on of hands, the Holy Spirit was given. So clearly something dramatic happened. Well, of course, they were all suddenly praying in tongues. Simon was so impressed at this supernatural sign that he wanted uh, this gift also. But his motives were wrong because he wanted to make money out of it. Um, and that's why Peter told him off. And what Peter said to him in verse 21 is, you have neither part nor portion in this matter, but that should have been translated utterance because it's the word logos, which is the word for words. So he's saying, you do not have part in this utterance. In other words, those Samaritans, as church history confirms, that all began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. And that was the thing that Simon wanted, that dramatic uh, ability to cause people to be able to speak in tongues. But uh, uh, so clearly they had a second experience of the baptism in the Spirit after their salvation, a few days after, and it was evidenced again in a very obvious way outwardly by the speaking in tongues. Then we saw the Apostle Paul in Acts 9. He got saved on the road to Damascus. He received Jesus as his Lord. He immediately asked Jesus for what he should do. He wanted immediately to get on Jesus' team because he had been the number one opponent of Jesus. So now he wants to get back on the right team. And so God now prepares him for his ministry by warning him what he will have to suffer. And um, Ananias, actually, and for three days he's, he's blind. And then Ananias comes to him in, in Acts 9.17 and says, Brother Saul, which shows that he's been saved now for these three days. Uh, he says, The Lord Jesus has sent me that you may be filled with the Holy Spirit. So Paul was saved, but he hadn't been filled with the Holy Spirit yet. And then the reference to being filled with the Holy Spirit has to be in Acts 2 when they were speaking in tongues. So... This is when, three days later, the Apostle Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit 
and spoke in tongues. We know he spoke in tongues a lot because in 1 Corinthians 14 he said that he thanks God speaking in tongues more than you all. So Paul obviously did receive that gift of speaking in tongues. And then we saw in Acts 19, Paul came to Ephesus and he found some disciples there and he asked them this question, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, um, what this question alone tells you that there's two stages because if, if you automatically receive the Holy Spirit when you believe in Christ and are born again, then why would Paul ask that question? It's nonsense. It, it must be a separate experience of receiving the Holy Spirit upon you that comes after you believe in Christ. And so he obviously had an idea that somehow these Christians were not spirit-filled. Uh, and so he asked them that question. And then they said, well, we haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. Then Paul begins to realize that although they obviously had claimed to be baptized, that they weren't really saved. So he asks, into what then were you baptized? What was your baptism all about? And they said, into John's baptism. And now it was obvious what had happened. They were disciples of John the Baptist, but they hadn't actually received Christ and they weren't baptized. See, had they had Christian baptism, they would have heard of the Holy Spirit because it says that you'll be baptized, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit. So Paul then realized they need to hear the gospel. So he preached the gospel to them and he said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying that to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So certainly they were saved now. They're saved. But they haven't received the baptism in the Spirit yet. We know that because they, it takes time for them to get baptized. And then after they're baptized, they still haven't been filled with the Spirit because it's after they're baptized that Paul now lays hands on them and only then which is after their salvation, it says that the Holy Spirit came upon them. So they had the Spirit within them before their baptism, but the Holy Spirit only came upon them after their baptism, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. So again, their baptism in the Spirit was evidenced by speaking in tongues. Um, now we're going to move on to Acts chapter 10. Now I've held this back for a reason. Um, Acts chapter 10, going back in time now, this is called the, uh, Pente the Gentile Pentecost. This is the first Gentiles who, the Samaritans were half Jew, half Gentile, but these are the first Gentiles. And he's, God has sent Peter to preach to them. And it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. So here Peter's preaching and they're hearing the gospel and getting saved. And, and actually they receive the Holy Spirit coming upon them right then. And those of the circumcision, the, the Jews who believed, were astonished. As many as came with Peter because the gift of the Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. They didn't, they didn't expect that. For they heard them speak in tongues and magnify God. Now, here they received the Holy Spirit coming upon them. But what was the evidence that the apostles accepted that proved to them that they'd received the Spirit upon? It says, for they heard them speak in tongues and magnify God. And so that's all the evidence that Peter needed 
to know that they were baptized in the Spirit, and that is the speaking in tongues. So the baptism in the Spirit includes speaking in tongues, and, and really you haven't received the full experience until you've yielded your tongue to the Holy Spirit. Only then does he fully come upon you. It's like putting on a jacket. You might put on a jacket a bit, but until you fully put it on and get your arms in there and yield your body to, to let that jacket come upon you, you don't fully have the jacket on you. It's only when you pray in tongues that you've yielded fully and that you, are, you can really claim that you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so Peter says, well, we shall get them baptized. And uh, it's interesting that Peter then has to explain himself to the Jews as to why he baptized them, because this was a radical thing, uh, that, Jew, that the Gentiles should be accepted along equally with the Jews. In Acts 11, the next chapter, he explains what happened. He said, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. At the beginning of the church age was the day of Pentecost. And so just like the Spirit fell upon them at the beginning at Pentecost, and they were all speaking in tongues, so the same experience happened to the Gentiles. They received the Spirit upon them. And then Peter explains that experience. He said, I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So their experience was described as the baptism in the Holy Spirit, not the new birth, but the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And that's the experience that they had on the day of Pentecost, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. That proves that what happened in Acts 2 and Acts 10 is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And so here we see this is an example, although we said it's a two-stage experience. In this case, the baptism in the Spirit happened practically at the same time as their new birth. But nevertheless, they were two experiences, run one right after the other. You know, that is possible too. On the other times, there were minutes or days between the two. Uh, but in this case, it happened one after the other. They believed in their heart, they received Christ, and immediately the Holy Spirit came upon them. And the fact that there were two stages is confirmed in Peter's first talk to the council, the first church council in Acts 15. And it's all about, shall we accept the Gentiles uh, along with the Jews as equal members of the church? And, and Peter actually stands up and he says, yes, we accept them. Why? Because I was there in Acts 10 and God accepted the Gentiles by filling them with the Holy Spirit, just like he filled us. And if God accepted them, then surely we should accept them. That's what he's saying in Acts 15. He says, when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to the men and brethren, you know that a good while ago, God chose among us that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And that's Acts 10. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them. Notice, in their heart they believed. And he acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And that's the Spirit of God upon at the day of Pentecost. And he made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, we may not understand the significance of Peter's words, but he was, he, in their understanding, that, that would have been a tremendous um, uh, argument that he was using. Um, he was making a deep point here. 
And to understand what Peter's saying, you've got to understand that there are three states that anything can be in, any person can be in. First of all is unclean. That's negative state. That's because of sin. And a sinner is unclean. Uh, and then there is clean. And what, what cleanses something that's unclean is blood. Only blood can cleanse what is unclean. And that changes it from negative to zero. And something that is clean, but that's all it is, is also called common. And then the, that's, so that's negative, zero. The positive state is being holy. And the only thing that can make a clean thing holy is the Holy Spirit or oil, symbolized by oil. Oil, anointing with oil, makes something holy. So you can only make something holy by the Spirit if it's been cleansed by blood. One of the rules is if something is unclean, you can't make it holy. You can't put oil on an unclean thing. It won't work. You have to first of all cleanse it by blood and then you put oil on it and make it clean. You'll see that anointings in the Old Testament often is with blood and then oil. Blood cleanses, oil makes holy. Uh, And so it's not enough that we're cleansed. We need to be made holy. And so what he's saying is that the fact that the Gentiles were anointed with the Holy Spirit upon them and it was done in such an outward way that it was evident. See, if they, all they received was the Spirit within, and this is why God did it so dramatically, um, if they were just anointed within with the Holy Spirit, then th- that could be disputed. That wouldn't be evidenced outwardly. But the fact that God also at the same time anointed them with the Spirit upon proved that, that they had the oil, that they were made holy, that God had accepted them. And if God had made them holy, he says, he must have first of all cleansed their hearts by faith. When they put their faith in the blood of Christ, their hearts were cleansed. They were made clean. They were accepted. And then also then they received the Spirit within them and upon them, and they were made holy. And so it proves that he must have cleansed their hearts. They must have been reborn by faith in the gospel. And therefore, God has accepted them fully. When we believe, we are cleansed and then we are set apart to God by the Spirit within us. And then the Spirit within us is manifested openly, outwardly, by coming upon us. And the fact that they had the Spirit upon them proves that they must have been forgiven. They must have been born again and accepted by God. And God did the two things close together to demonstrate that he had accepted the Gentiles. And the Jews had no choice but to also accept the Gentiles. And that's how was a key moment in church history. I trust this series on the baptism in the Holy Spirit has been exciting to you. And if you want to know more about this, I've preached this uh, in my church and we have eight CD messages. These are longer messages that uh, almost uh, an hour that I've preached in church. And uh, I believe that this will give you even more uh, insight into the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Eight CDs. Uh, and that will be a great blessing to you. Thank you for watching. Join with us at Oxford Bible Church every Sunday at 11am Greenwich Mean Time for our live stream service. Or join us at Cheney School, Headington, Oxford, OX3 7QH.
You can watch more of our teachings on our Roku channel and Derek Walker's YouTube channel. All Derek Walker's books are available in printed and Kindle versions in all Amazons worldwide or online with other great products where you can also support our programs at www.oxfordbiblechurch.co.uk or by calling 01865 515 086.